Hey, welcome back to Content is Profit. That's right. How you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. We just had an incredible conversation, guys. And you probably asked yourself this. You probably heard around that now every business should be a media company. And you might be asking yourself, well, how do I turn myself into a media company? Am I even, does my business even qualify to be a media company? Well, let me tell you, if you care about people's perception, then you yourself are a media company. I love this conversation. One of, a couple of the things that I really enjoyed about was how to manage quality versus quantity when it comes to content and why somebody on your leadership team should be a creator. Yeah, that was pretty good. I also love their framework that one plus one equals three and the mm -hmm. power that that entails for creators and their emphasis on who listens rather than the number of people that listens. So hope you enjoyed this episode. And hopefully by the end of today's conversation, you're going to be telling yourself, I need to become a media business ASAP. That's right. We've got some hey, I'm Luis. And this is Luis. And welcome to the Content is Profit before. podcast. One, two, In here, you're going to get the insights, accountability, and drive to create consistently and increase revenue. You'll hear from top entrepreneurs, creators, and anything and everything you need to know about content. All this while having a good time. The goal of this podcast is simple. Entertain, educate, and turn your content into profit. Let's go. Ooh. Welcome back, guys. Again, if you are enjoying these episodes, go ahead and follow the show. So, you know, subscribe, follow, download all the episodes. Huge shout out to everybody that has been coming into the podcast. The podcast has tripled, tripled from Let's last go. month. So thank you so much. We love you. Yeah, I think we have a, a very special topic today coming in that is going to kind of like back up that triple growth you know we heard, heard a little bit of that teaser one plus one equals three Ooh. we're gonna we're gonna be talking all about that but guys if today's episode helped you move one step closer towards your goal please don't forget to share with this episode with somebody you love or somebody that might need to hear this message today that's and, and right don't forget to leave a five-star review thank you <laughs> that's right so you are in for a treat today today we have the podcast royalty in the show we met him at podcast movement where his knowledge and alluring english accent caught our attention <laughs> he's currently building work weeks podcast network while hosting his own podcast subject matter in which he gives creators education and inspiration so they can build grow and monetize their own audiences Not to mention, he just hit number one in the marketing charts in the UK with one of his podcasts. Impressive. Let's go. But most people might know him for his rat skills on the dance floor or because he might be the next Spider-Man. Tom Holland, watch out. That is right. Please welcome the real English Spider-Man. None of that Tom Holland thing. <laughs> the podcaster himself, Ben Bradbury. What is up, Ben? Hey guys, that might be one of the best intros I've ever heard. You did your homework. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, something that you develop after like 340 <laughs> podcast episodes is how to stalk people on Instagram, you know? <laughs> Professional level stalkers. Well, guys, I'm honored to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, ben, the first thing I want to ask you is like, how do you develop that accent, man? Like we've tried <laughs> for so long and uh, we just come out Hispanic. Oh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, dude, some of these things you're just born with. And uh, I hate to say it, but I'm very, very lucky to have a lovely lady in my life, uh, otherwise known as my mom, who has an amazing accent. 
<laughs> sounds as British as they come, and she's trained me in everything I know. So uh, learning from the best. I love that was it. awesome. So when we're going down to like step one <laughs> of you know growing your audience and monetizing mm. it, is step one having a super <laughs> awesome accent or is it something else <laughs> yeah because we can yeah, stop well, this, that, that's it <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the thing at work week we only work with creators that have a really sultry british accent mm. no i'm kidding um <laughs> just make sure i mean for me i started out my podcast as just an experiment back in november 2018 yep. and i did i think two or three episodes and it was with my my best friend at the time and he just gave me some feedback saying like you sound really good on the mic Like this, I think is kind of made for you. And yeah. I think as a creator, you need to know what your unique strengths are. Some creators are really well suited to written content. Some creators are really well suited to video. If you have a persona that just lights up the camera and some are suited to, to voice and being able to match your skill to the medium, I think is one of those mm. first steps for success. How do, how do people match their skill to the medium? Like, do, do you guys have a process, right? We, we've shared our story in the past and we found that podcasting in this, and this medium is probably comes easier than any, than others. Right. And we've tried many others, but like, mm -hmm. do you guys have a process for that? Or do you have a process for that? What do you recommend people do? Yeah, I think part of it is being able to know yourself and what you prefer. So for example, one of our creators, Nick Van Ostel, he has a newsletter called keep cool. It's all about climate tech and it's very well researched. And what Nick's superpower is in my opinion, is being able to connect all these different sources and help you see a perspective in climate tech that you hadn't seen before. Yeah. Now, in my opinion, the best way to do that is in a really thoughtful, well-researched essay. And so un for, for Nick, understanding what his unique strength is as a creator, it then became very obvious that the newsletters are matched for that. Mm. I'll give you another example. Just before this call, I was talking to Nicole Kasperson from What the Fintech, And Nicole, her flagship event, FinTech is Femme, what's different about that in the FinTech industry is that rather than there being a load of, uh, a load of guys basically in the room, it's 92% female was yeah. the attendance for her last event. And that's just completely almost unheard of in FinTech. And Sounds so like her, a Thursday ladies magic, night. Yep. yep. <laughs> Cas casual night for Casual Ponzi, Thursday, yep. <laughs> and, and so for her, like, her magic is being able to bring those people together and share those yeah. stories. And so it's very obvious for me that she needs a platform to become a voice of authority. So I think part of it is knowing your strengths yeah. and then part of it is knowing the goals of the kind of media company that you're looking to build as well. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Um, ben, let's back up here a little bit, like two steps. I'm pretty curious on how did you start subject matter? You say you started at first with like your best friend in the podcasting world, but what led you to, I guess, go into the B2B world? Because I feel that's who you mainly work with, right? You help B2B, people in the B2B space to build, grow, and monetize their podcast. And I'm curious, how did you get into that space? Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of two separate stories that ended up converging. Subject matter really started as I think a lot of the best things do just as a friendly experiment, just saying, hey, let's do a season of this podcast and see how it goes. Yeah. It's a very simple premise. I, was, I would tell the storyteller, I would tell the stories rather, I love being the storyteller. And then my best friend, Tom, would be the devil's advocate. He loves ripping mm. them apart. <laughs> and so the promise, I love thinking about podcasters promises. The promise that we would give our listeners was we would give you a new way of thinking about an idea that perhaps you already knew. So mm. we would pose a question like, 
do you get further ahead in life by saying yes or saying no? Is it better to seek out a mentor or to become one yourself for the next generation? And there's no right answer. We were just trying to get the listeners to, to think. Yeah. Now, at the same time, I was building out my services as a freelancer, as a ghostwriter, and I was working with founders and CEOs on LinkedIn. And I think yeah. what people, what was kind of happening in 2017, 2018, is people were really starting to turn on to this idea of a personal brand in B2B. So for me, I think this comes down to a very simple equation. You can turn your reputation into revenue and retention. Mm -hmm. And that means by sharing your own expertise, building yourself up as an industry expert and being recognized as that, you can have customers who want to work with you and employees who want to work for you because they care about your mission. And so I've always felt like B2B is a more natural fit for that because you can be way more specialized. So if you're competing with consumers, if I take like a Mr. Beast, for example, he is obviously world-class at what he does as a creator. He has to compete with such a broad array of attention. Whereas mm -hmm. in B2B, like one of our creators, Blake Madden, he writes for hospital executives. I hate to break it to you, fellas. There ain't that many hospital executive <laughs> creators out in the world. Yeah. It's like an incredibly defined niche. Yeah. And so that's what I like about B2B is that I can work with this talent and help them tease out mm. their very specific message, build a reputation, and then leverage that for, for results. And so that kind of started with the ghostwriting agency and then has become kind of, I would say, amplified when, uh, when I started working with Workweek earlier this year. That's so cool. Um, mo most creators, right, that at least the people that we've interacted with, whether it's in our community or different things, have a really hard time picking up a niche, including us when we first started, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. did anything and everything. We actually had a really hard time trying to pick on the service side, right? With what thing were we doing uh, three years ago? And uh, it wasn't until like we really niched down on, on the thing, on the process, on what we do, uh, that things started to move forward very very quickly so on the creation side right like we went through like a similar process for the podcast we're like what do we talk about what are these things right and through execution that kind of you know narrow down and obviously the the the, the title of the podcast <laughs> is like very specific to to a, a type of creator right um and i think we could mm -hmm. be probably doing a better job as well like there's always a can be better situation but when people do you deal with a lot with people that don't have that niche defined and then if you do like how do you navigate that for people that are starting that because you know even in the b2b right like uh the impression is hey i want to talk to as many people as possible i want to i want to touch as many people as possible right obviously if they have a product that's specialized already that should be an indicator that that might be a direction but it's like how do you manage that quantity versus quality in the message in the type of leads that might be coming in like how do you manage that totally great question I changed my mind on this in the last few years. Mm. I used to optimize for impressions and engagement and look at those as kind of the top line metrics. So on LinkedIn, what's your view count, your likes, your comments. Since joining Workweek, I've learned that who is paying attention to your content is so much more important than the number of people. So I'll give you an example. One of our creators, Nick Sharma, he has a newsletter with tens of thousands of operators on them. And Nick is in the direct-to-consumer space. He's pretty well-regarded as an industry expert. Yeah. Nick has an over 50% open rate on his yeah. emails. So that means over half the people on his list are opening those emails. 
were able to charge high CPMs from his list because of the affinity that his audience has with him. And that's because he speaks to a very specific type of person. He's either trying to speak to a bootstrap founder, someone at a DCC brand who's doing 20 to 50 million in revenue, or the mm. CMO of Bacardi. And he's told me before, like those three very tightly controlled personas and writing just for them, I think is what has enabled him to be seen as such a voice of authority in the space. Now, I can compare that and I can think of newsletters in my head that have more subscribers, but I know their open rate is lower. I know they charge less CPMs. I know that people have less affinity. And so I would really encourage someone who is thinking about building up this audience is to look for signals from the smartest person in the room. Mm. So for me, when I'm creating content with subject matter, there's a few personas that I'm going for. I'm going for the bootstrap creator who's looking to do more with their content and build better infrastructure. I'm also going for the business owner or agency owner who's at seven figures who wants to get to eight figures. But the person who I really most want to target, and if he listens to this podcast, I'm calling out directly, is a guy called Kevin Ryan. Kevin Ryan is the brain behind Mongo, uh, MongoDB, the database tool, Guilt Group, Business Insider. He's a serial entrepreneur that's hired over 10,000 people. And if I can get through to Kevin Ryan on the importance of having creators embedded into your media strategy, yeah. the potential influence for that is huge. Now, that's me aiming incredibly aspirationally, but I think it's a really good example of how, yeah. with my own content, when I get signals on my Twitter, on my LinkedIn, from the right kind of person that's interacting, I actually put more weight on that than what is ultimately, I think, a bit of a vanity metric, which is the raw engagement that you're getting. Engagement always has to be put through a filter of signal in order to see how useful it is. Mm, that's interesting. I love how you put the embedding creators in the in the media strategy, right? And we were talking a little bit behind the scenes on the approach, that media strategy approach that you guys have a work week. Does that has anything to do with embedding the creators in it? Yeah, totally. I think there's a couple of things we're seeing in the media landscape. One is people are following individuals over institutions far more now. You used to, a hundred years ago, you would trust a government. If in, in the UK in World War One, if Lord Kitchener on the poster says, I need you to sign up, I would go and sign up and I'd be part of the army. There you go. 50 years ago, we trust companies. And then you'd end up with this wave of professionals who would spend 30, 40 years at a company, get their Rolex watch, and then go and retire. Now, because of things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook and the Trump administration, trusting companies is at an all-time low. And now we don't trust the, the content marketing pros who say they're a company. We trust the biz bros. We trust content as profit because they're people that we can connect to and a, and a personality we can get behind. And at Workweek, we very much believe that as well. And what we're doing is partnering with talent, with creators, and betting that the subject matter expertise they have, they're the people who know their industries, by partnering with a team of operators like me, who can help them on things like content production, strategy, coaching, organic marketing, paid marketing, that we can be create greater together than the strong than the sum of our parts. And so I would sum this up as a simple idea. One plus one equals three at Workweek. The creators we work with partner with operators 
allows us to capture exponential value. And that's what I would call a 10x creator. So in engineering, there's this idea of the 10x engineer, where one engineer can be more valuable than 10 engineers or more combined. Same thing with creators. One creator can be more valuable than 10 or 100 creators, provided they have the right team to support them and the right strategic oversight that can help them build the business that they've always dreamed of. Yeah, yeah. this resonates a lot. We have this concept called the publishing pyramid, right? And at the bottom, mm -hmm. the very basic foundation is great messaging, right? And we kind of were talking a little bit about that, right? That, that niche, that persona that you're talking to. And the next step on that is capacity, right? And I feel like creators, they need the cap that capacity to thrive, to be able to create good content. And sometimes when you put all this, let's say operational tasks or the technical tasks, you are taking away some of that capacity to create incredible content. So I love that one plus one equals three because you're pretty much giving that capacity back to the creators so they can focus on doing what they do best, which is create that quality content that is going to be attracting the, the people in that industry. Yeah, we, um, th there's, there's two examples, right? I want to share like one, uh, we recently worked with a company that part of their content strategy was on, on the same lines, along the same lines, right? And it was uh, organic rodent repellent type of deal. And uh, hmm. all the content that they were publishing on short form, whether it was like TikTok or the reels, is pretty interesting to see. And it's like all these different personalities that align with their customer avatar, but at the same time, they're sharing these stories and they're sharing these skits and, and these things. And it was like very organic way to do it. Uh, full disclosure, we did not execute on this strategy. This was an external company that was doing this, but we were collaborating with a company in a different spot and we got to experience all this. And it was really interesting to see the people coming in and trusting these individuals. It was like three different type of personas that were going through all this and that was the whole thing. And uh, they were able to, in two months, they double sales, right? Because mm -hmm. that was the one thing that they were able to do and it was super interesting to see that. And then just recently, last week, I was sh sharing with you off camera that we went to Boise, right? To And uh, it was the first time mm -hmm. that uh, me, the wife and the kiddos and Uncle Fonzie and the, the family flew on an airplane. And it was hilarious because... Well, no, it was in our first time on an airplane. It was with, the, with the kids, <laughs> with a three-year-old and a six-month-old, right? And, and we, uh, swam or we swam our way to the United <laughs> we States. We swam our way, yeah. <laughs> paro, baby, paro. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was pretty interesting because uh, two weeks before that, Um, we started getting all these Amazon packages, right? And I'm like, Katie, what, what's going on? And it's all these baby products that are optimized for airplane, right? It's like this like snacker that you hit and the thing and the little tray for the thing and this inflatable that becomes uh, a bed for the kid, right? And I'm like, where are you getting all of this? And it was all based on creators on short form and these reviews and things and content that's being produced at this massive scale. And she's like, yeah, I've been getting all these ideas off of, you know, reels and, and TikToks. And legit, mm -hmm. like the whole backpack, it was like full with these gadgets and they worked. I mean, it did work. I mean, she could have become an influencer <laughs> right there. I'm not a creator on this. So those two experiences, you know, make me think, okay, people are consuming content in a very different way that, than, you know, two, three years ago, right? Consumers are trusting these people that are putting this content out there. They, uh, they're in touch with the day-to-day -day of these people, at least the perceived 
reality right at least like we don't really know like on the back end like if that's actually true or not but coming from a marketing mind right we're like is that actually like how they live their lives yeah, i don't know maybe i don't know you you you, you have a uh, more relationships with your creators right maybe yours are different but um but that connection is so strong to the point that people pay money to, for whatever product or whatever they're referring or whatever that so uh how do you how do you see that relationship how can a company right now they're, they're thinking they're like yeah perfect uh i need to invest in creators right do i bring that in-house do i hire somebody that comes in like how how does that link right how do how do people then move to a, a type of a strategy like that is there a certain company that needs to do this or can everybody do it I think the thing to keep in mind is, number one, just about every company today is a media company. And you're a media company if you care about public perception. You're a media company if you care about hiring great talent. Because guess what? One of the best ways to hire great talent is to show the great work that you do as a company and have people buy into that ethos. And so being able to share what you're working on whether that is a high-level mission or the nuts and bolts of you executing a, a strategy or a campaign, I think is an incredibly important piece for any company. And I'm yeah. going to stick to I'm going to stick to B2B specifically because that's what I know. Um, but for any B2B brand where you're in a competitive space, and you're trying to differentiate yourself. I think treating yourself as a media company is an amazing way to do that. Now, let's talk about who in the company is worth really kind of doubling down on here. I always start at the top. I think that human behavior is modeled by the people that we follow. And so building a creative first culture is very much a top-down process mm -hmm. where your leadership team needs to kind of focus on that first and foremost. So as an example from Workweek, we're led by uh, our CEO, Adam Ryan. Adam is a creator himself. So he writes a weekly newsletter called Perpetual, where he's helping shape the perception of media from the inside of running Workweek. It's his hot takes and commentary on the media industry. He has his podcast, the Perpetual podcast, where he brings on other media operators to, to talk about it. And he's relentlessly posting on Twitter, on LinkedIn, sharing his thoughts with his audience, and also sharing some of the wins from Workweek, because we've got pretty good momentum right now. But that's a good example of how him as a creator mm. has been able to help shape the narrative of the company in a very intentional way and something that's been positive for us overall. Oh, that's Outside good. of the... Yeah, sorry. Do you want to say something? Uh, just a parenthesis, parenthesis question. Do you believe today every CEO needs to be a creator? I don't think every CEO needs to be because CEOs come in all shapes and sizes. I do think that everyone on someone on your leadership team in every leadership team should be a public facing creator. Yes, because at some point you will get outmaneuvered if you're not careful by a company that has better perception, whether that is leaking talent to them, mm. whether that is losing customers to them who feel like the other brand is cooler, more relevant. So to me, I think it really does come down to, to the leadership team. And this is kind of an interesting question as well. So, If like, imagine that you guys decide to go in house and you start working for Gartner, for example, huge market research firm. If you guys are now the collective CMOs of Gartner, you can either talk about the, the insights that Gartner's putting out, or you yourselves can say, Hey, this is how we're building out 
the content infrastructure at Gartner. Here's how we're thinking about strategy. We're now going to do a panel where we talk about strategy. We're going to do a community for other chief strategy officers to come together. And suddenly you've just opened up at least a seven-figure revenue stream for the company just by choosing to take your brand as a creator seriously. So that's the kind of opportunity that I see here. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah, that is... That is pretty pretty impressive, and um, I mean, it just I feel like it, it makes me wonder why some businesses haven't transitioned there yet, right? And I'm guessing you might have a better insight on some of these businesses why they haven't started taking this so seriously at this point. Is there maybe the cost to implement too high, or maybe finding the talent is too high? What are some of the barriers that businesses are facing to transition into this? Sure. I think a big piece of this is the business model that you've built. You can't just exit out of the business model that you've been in for if you're if you've been around for decades or hundreds of years. Yeah. That's what is the foundation of your company. So good example of this is the New York Times. I love the New York Times. I think the Daily is one of the best podcasts out there. If I was to introduce myself to you two on the show and I worked there, I would say, hey, I'm Ben Bradbury. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. And instantly the Times brand is what carries the clout. I would think of that or call that a branded house where the talent is underneath the the brand. And from a business model perspective, the journalists themselves, they're paid a flat salary. Maybe they have some bonuses attached to a bit of revenue, but it's certainly not, they're not treated like business owners in their own right. Now, if the New York Times then decides to launch a creator program where they say, hey, we're going to do revenue share agreements and we have all these other incentive structures that are going to help you make all this money as a creator, they're going to have hundreds of journalists turn around and say, that's not fair. You need to start treating me like that or I'm going to leave. Mm. And so that I think is the is the first blocker mm. is the business model itself is a potential blocker. And that's why I think companies that innovate at a business model level from the ground up are at an advantage here. Wow. I think the, the next thing is the mindset. So to me... When I was running astutely my agency, I would ask new clients or I would qualify new clients by seeing how they aligned with our belief set. And one of the first beliefs that they had to believe in order to work with us is that there is value in turning my personal brand into a marketing channel. If they didn't believe that, didn't matter how slick my my sales pitch was, to use your words, it didn't matter how alluring yeah. my British accent was, <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to get them to sign anything, right? They, they yeah. just didn't believe. And so that, I think, is the, is the next thing, is if you are interested in doing this at a company or at your company, the mindset comes first, and then the rest can shift. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Swiftfish Media. I really enjoy that. I am, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy how they do it on LinkedIn. They have a lot of their team. I I don't know how they do it internally, but I'm pretty sure they promote it in a way that a lot of their team, they're just creators and they're developing their personal mm-hmm. brand, just like you're saying, but at the same time, they're promoting Sweetfish Media, right? And they do a great job at, you know, just sharing knowledge, sharing viable content that just drag eyeballs. Because now it's not, you know, one marketing channel, but you have seven, right? Seven people out there that are preaching about your brand and, you know, educating the customers. I feel like, like it's very, I feel like it's very simple to duplicate your efforts when a lot of people are on board in a creator program inside of your business. 
What do you mean by duplicate your efforts? I mean, let's say I was the only one that was creating content and all of a sudden mm -hmm. my brother started doing so, right? And we're both in our personal brands gotcha. where we're just marketing for business, right? I mean, obviously this is a quote unquote, it's not technically straight <laughs> database. You're duplicating your marketing efforts, but now you have two uh, to people sharing your message, right? To people out there trying to gather some of your audience. Got you. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I think James and the team at Sweetfish have done an incredible job of building out their network of shows and creating efficiencies off the, off the back end of that. I think that's definitely the opportunity when you're doing this at scale is like for me, I run the content production team. So that involves our podcasts and videos. It also involves our live events. So our happy hours, all the way up to conferences, summits, and our educational content as well. So courses, guides, products there. And the way I look at that is actually having one united production stack. So mm. if one of our creators is throwing an event, I want to be able to record that event. I want to be able to turn that into a podcast. Yeah. I potentially even want to be able to do a hybrid event live so that I can engage an online community at the same time. And I want to be able to take pieces of that event and then potentially turn that into a course later. But you can see how those, just because they are three distinct departments, that doesn't mean they're siloed. They work together cross-functionally. Yeah. And what that means to the creator is they end up with a much smoother experience where they can just go and do their magic shining on the stage. But then out the other end comes a polished podcast. It goes mm -hmm. on their YouTube channel, becomes a product that they can monetize. And that's really what I mean when I say that one plus one equals three is that we all have yeah. the same 40 odd hour work weeks. But if you work with operational talent that can leverage the creative work you're already doing, it lets you open up these other kind of downstream um, opportunities. Yeah, I, I think that's when it gets like really fun, right? Because, you know, initially when people start creating and this was like our personal story, right? You see a lot of friction. It's like, oh boy, like how do I discover mm -hmm. first my voice? How do I discover my channel, right? You mentioned a lot of people with newsletters. You mentioned some podcasts, YouTube channel, right? So what's your superpower? Once you do that, right? And you finally, and we talk about this in our publishing pyramid, it's once you are able to be consistent in that medium, right? Then it really becomes fun, right? Because it becomes part of your identity. Part of what you do is that objective, whether mm -hmm. that's in your company. And then you're like, oh, what else can we do with these things, right? So for example, last week, in the, we were in Tampa two weeks ago and then we were in Boise. And we're like, sweet, I think we should start looking at how can we create something YouTube specific, right? And we started playing with different concepts, but that only was, uh, we were able to start thinking on that because this platform has been running for almost three years. The process is pretty streamlined, right? Uh, us as creators show up and do our thing and we have these amazing conversations, right? And then we freed up the capacity, right? So. For, for companies that start tackling this, I love how you how you look at your production stack and be like, okay, this medium, this thing, this event, right, can mean these opportunities, X, Y, Z, right? Three, four, five different opportunities. And then you tackle, like, how do we actually monetize from it? How do we provide value? How do we service our audience, our clients, our people, our network, our creators, right? And then it becomes really fun because then you're stepping like two, three steps out and you see that as an asset that then can be potentially presented in different ways for people to consume it in different ways. And uh, and I think a lot of people don't get to that point or companies don't get to that point because they don't conquer the first step of publishing, which is finding that voice and being that consistent, right? So mm. have you seen a lot of friction in that transition, right? 
and maybe you work already with people that are already in that place that they're like superpower they're creating they've been doing it for for a while and then you get to play on this afterworld of possibility that can be overwhelming at a point but like how do mm-hmm. how do people can manage that if they if they feel like they're at that point where like oh, okay I'm consistent now it's time to see my production stack in a different way totally so I'll tell you what I get out of bed for in the morning. The reason I get out of bed and why I'm having so much fun working at the moment is because I get to work with a pool of talent, figure out what their strengths are, and then coming to your question, figure out what is the content ecosystem that best reflects that strength and what is the repurposing process that we're going to use to follow that. So in your example, if someone has already got that consistency, the first thing I would do is look at or vet their existing ecosystem. Are you a podcaster? Is that your primary channel? Are you a newsletter creator? Because we have creators here where the newsletter is their bread and butter, and then they will reshare or rediscuss those ideas on the podcast. I also have creators where they will come up with their original ideas on the podcast and then develop them in the newsletter. So there's no right or wrong answer here, but you're, you're starting to kind of see how someone's unique strength affects your production stack. The other thing that I would look at is what is the North Star that you're aiming towards here? If if I talk to a creator, I want us both to be amped about where you're going. For some of them, one of like one of my friends, for example, Danny Miranda, his 10-year goal is to sell out Madison Square Garden Theater and do a live podcast there. And so he's getting a ton of podcast reps right now. Yeah, Yeah, that would be awesome. Another creator, his goal is to throw a full-blown conference, and we're throwing our first marketing conference uh, later in 2023. And that's going to be epic, and that's like a North Star that we can shoot for at the same time. But having that end result then lets me get strategic about what I'm doing now that builds up to that. So, for example, if I just stick, let's stick with the conference idea. In order to dominate a marketing conference, you need content that is going to crush. In order to get content you need to understand what your theme is going to be. And so to get that theme, you need to test that content. You need reps. And so in Q1 and Q2, we're testing these different content ideas and different products. We're going to see what sticks because we don't have all the answers. We have to learn from the audience. And then when we've got that feedback, we can package that into a virtual event where we test the keynotes. And then once we've done the virtual event, depending on that feedback, then we can productize that into, into a further keynote. And so... That's kind of how I would look at it is to do an assessment in the present of what does my ecosystem look like? Where am I strongest? And how does that lend itself to repurposing? And then where do I want to get to in the future? And how can I reverse engineer my content so that I'm going to be able to accomplish that goal next year or the year after? That's awesome. Yeah. But I'm I'm very curious. The more you talk about these frameworks and about, you know, work week, I'm like, what is, I, I feel like I know what work week is to an extent. And uh, I know probably there's some things here that you might not be able to share, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, is work week mostly like you guys are pretty much investing in these creators by providing the operational workforce and then partnering with other business on the outside? Um, can you help me here understand? And maybe sure. how can people, because I think you guys are, uh, take applications to get creators instead of Workweek, correct? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Workweek is all B2B, and you can think of us like a record label for creators. So if you think of, let's say, 
Post Malone, for example. Post Malone's label will help market his tour, promote his album, produce his music, sell his merch, do all the things, to your point with the publishing pyramid, all the things that hold him back from publishing, from doing what he's great at, which is being a musician. We take a lot of inspiration from a record label and say, mm -hmm. well, these labels have helped musicians. What if we did something similar to creators? What if we took all of the stuff off a creator's plate that they didn't want to do and freed up their time to do what they were best at and what they enjoy most, which is creating killer content in their niche. And so that's how Workweek is set up. We partner with B2B creators. We have creators in media, marketing, fintech, franchises, venture capital, mm. a really broad array of niches. And we're definitely open to to other niches. So if you work in a niche that I haven't said, we're also I'm also happy to discuss that. Um, but what's really important for us is that we can find people who know their industries really, really well, and then give them an operating system which helps kind of share that. And so we work with some creators on a part-time basis where they're not uh, they're not in-house. Yeah. And we'll do uh, we'll do deals. Every deal kind of looks different with the creators that we do, but some of them will be um, will be a different split depending on where they're at with their business, with their audience. And then some creators, like uh, there are creators who we've joined that had no subscribers on their email list and a handful of Twitter followers. And we've really helped build them and kind of to their credit, they've been a diamond in the rough that has been allowed to shine in their industry. Yeah. Um, and so it really depends on the like where the creator is at and kind of what our working relationship is, but always being able okay. to um, support them the, the best we can on the operating side and get out of their way. That's kind of the thing that we always come back to. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Now, I understand why you say you get out of bed excited to to go work, dealing yeah. with a whole bunch of different creators with a whole bunch of different talents and, and audiences. Yeah, so that sounds like no day is the same over and over. <laughs> sounds I, like... Uh, I, Sounds like if you want to turn your content into profit, you should be part of obviously the resource community, but also Workweek. I just reach out to Ben, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's there's a ton of alignment here. I mean, I do yeah. have a, a question for you guys. Why do you guys get out bed in the morning? In your in your process as creators, as builders, what are the what are the moments or the things you do where you really come the most alive? There's a six month old crying through the monitor every morning in my house. So uh, it's pretty, <laughs> um, no, I mean, jokes aside, right. I think at least for me, uh, I've always had a personal desire to build something. And over the last three years, I mean, over the last seven years, really we've started, but, uh, with the podcast almost three years now, and it's been like the one place probably that we've been the most consistent overall and uh it's just fun for me it's just about fun right it's fun sharing the message it's fun researching these things it's fun having conversations with people like you right connecting with amazing people in the community and just the personal growth has been massive so those elements obviously play a part and every day that we have we've discussed having a daily podcast for a long time because of that reason because it's just fun to do people are like what like mm -hmm. a lot of people i feel like they see it maybe as a shore as a thing that they should do in their business right and this is why we're so fans such a fan of uh building your own process and building your own thing and this is at the beginning of the interview right we talked about your superpower and how do you create but for us this is our happy place and it's uh you know we tackled it as a game day and uh, it just created that good routine and and, and good flow 
that has also amassed very positive results in the business side and the personal side. So all that combined is really exciting to me. And, and the fact that we're just starting up, right, in a sense, there's so much ahead mm. of us. And that, like this is such a green industry and point of view. And there's so much opportunity. It's really exciting to me. Yeah. Mine goes, I feel like it aligns a lot with yours. I love working with, you know, or partners or clients everybody's different everybody has a different niche and everybody like you said published differently and i do see it a little bit as a as a little puzzle as a challenge and like okay these are their objectives how do we help them get there and what we do is very specific we have a very specific process on how we do things but at the same time right it's like okay how do i accommodate certain pieces of that puzzle to help these people mm. have the best impact the impact that they can have and i think Personally, that epiphany I had when, you know, when we started doing the podcast after a few months, I look back and I was like, wow, the personal growth that I've experienced because of publishing has been absolutely massive. Like, I don't recognize the Fonzie that was on episode one, right, compared well, to Fonzie on episode 340. For once, he had black hair, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't make bets with this guy. He's going to make you, you know, dye your hair. But, uh, but yeah, so, like, seeing that growth and then, you know, seeing the possibility of influencing others and helping others experience that growth as well through publishing mm -hmm. is very motivating and is very exciting. So what I think is cool about your answers and the, the link, I think, between both of them is that you get a real kick out of building other people up through intimate connection. And so to me, coming back to our point on earlier on kind of quality versus quantity, it signals that you actually, you could have a more intimate event. And I think an event is a really natural extension for your brand of bringing people together where it can be some of the chemistry, the magic that you you have on this podcast, like you guys are electric when you're on the mic, <laughs> bringing people into a room where they can experience that and then can learn from you at the same time in this very relaxed setting over, over a day retreat. Like the content is Profit Summit. That to me feels like a really natural extension of what you guys have done here on the podcast because then you're just bottling up that magic, the people that are listening here, and people actually get to see that in uh, in person as well and then what's cool is you can then drip out all of that content from the the summit as either exclusive content for a community mm. you could put it public to drive hype for the next one you could uh, package it up into an asynchronous course as an info product but yeah. like that to me is an example of kind of where your brand could potentially go just based on what gets you guys out of bed in the morning absolutely yo uh, ben, ben, I'm, just, I'm just gonna say this i feel like like you're flirting with us at this, uh, at this moment, you know? What's just with, happening? With the accent. Are, are, are you trying to take us away from the HubSpot Podcast Network yeah. and get us into, into work? Is that what's happening over here? It's like, come it's over, a, guys. It's all a sales pitch. It's yeah. A, <laughs> no, yeah. but I love it, man. And yeah. I, I don't know if you noticed, but I was like, ooh, yeah, content it, is profit yeah. summit. Like, let I me write that, that down. down. <laughs> expect, uh, expect an invite, man, you know? Uh, and it was funny because- um, oh, I appreciate you. You know, as, as you're like in the machine, right? You're probably see it because you you're mm -hmm. you know you're outside of that with your creators right and you you're able to see all these outlets but when you're inside of the machine and sometimes this happens a lot with the people that we work with you don't see that right you don't see you're on the day-to-day -day working executing right and we've 
we've kind of developed a, a, the ability to kind of step out for a little bit and and see where we're okay this is kind of like the thing that we're doing and then we go back in but like just this weekend right like we we hosted well we didn't host but we, we proposed an idea and we ended up cooking venezuelan arepas for like 30 people from an event like and it just happened oh, cool. because we ended up meeting in this house and the word just spread and then all of a sudden we had these 30 entrepreneurs that are that were there in boise for a different event all eating arepas or sharing their stories doing their thing and you know, as we step back, as in our reflection wow. moment, we're like, huh, there is something that, you know, it, it comes, I don't want to say easy, but like in a sense it is because we've just connected with people. We've been doing this for like three years over online and it just formed into that event. We're like, hmm, that could be a cool thing to to go. And now you mentioned this on the summit. So I guess we'll commit in, guys. Uh, if you're listening, we're committing to uh, Bizro Summit. Uh, expect Ben and expect some arepas in there. And, uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> ben, dude, this has been awesome. Uh, as we wrap up, last question, right, uh, for mm. you is, what will be your recommendation, your action point, right, for a company or or, or that group of, of yeah, that, those operators that are trying to, to evolve their company to a media company like what what's your biggest recommendation yeah i think the it all comes down to the fact that your talent is your biggest asset if you as a company are expecting that people are going to work as, as a kind of secondary to your brand i think you're on a timer so people that are building up other creators and kind of leveraging their personalities but if you're able to set your creators up for success help them embrace what makes them unique and build content ecosystems that plays to that and, and compensates them fairly for that then i think you're you're getting ahead of a very strong trend that we're going to see play out in the in the 2020s so so good fonzie anything else i'm mind blown ben uh this was absolutely amazing where do people connect with you where do people can find you where can they maybe apply for a work week what are the next steps yeah absolutely um you can connect with me on Twitter. So my handle's just at Ben Bradbury underscore. My DM's always open. Um, feel free to shoot me a message there. Uh, my podcast is Subject Matter. You can find me uh, anywhere and everywhere if you're interested in uh, kind of building, growing, and scaling your expertise as a creator. And then if you're interested as a creator and finding out more about what we do at Workweek, head over to workweek.com or workweek.com slash creators. See some of the fun people that we have as part of our family. And uh, yeah, if you are interested in in applying would love to set up a conversation appreciate awesome. it do it all the links right below scroll down click in there if you're creating right now get in touch with ben at least the conversation is so worth it so uh just to listen to that accent he's like stop guys stop um ben is there anything else you want to add before we head out um i mean firstly this has been a ton of fun and you guys, I said this earlier, but you guys are electric on the mic. Like you have real chemistry and it's not often that I get the privilege of coming on a podcast and just seeing two experts just chop it up. So <laughs> just please keep doing what you're doing because I think your futures look very bright if you just keep it consistent. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to staying in touch and uh, supporting you guys however I can. Appreciate it, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate those words. And with that said, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Contents Profit Podcast. Go ahead and follow the show in your favorite podcasting platform and on social media. What am I saying? Dude, you're all to say it in Spanish out there. Guys, <laughs> if today's episode helped you move one step closer towards your goal, please don't forget to share it and, and leave a five-star review. See ya. Bye, guys.